So I hitchhiked for four years, met my wife hitchhiking, believe it or not. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, her, her boyfriend picked me up and they were on the fritz. And... What you just heard was the voice of my next guest, Jeffrey Mason, talking about how he met his wife of over 40 years. Stay tuned for the rest of the story. <laughs> Welcome back once again to season four of the podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Blackwood. As many of you know, I wrote my autobiography as a survivor of human trafficking. It's called Custom Justice. But if you didn't know, you do now. Keeping in line with that, this entire season and last season has been focused on interviewing people who did or planned to write about their own experiences as trauma survivors and how they overcame the past. And as much as we all hate commercials, they are a necessary evil these days. This is what keeps the show on the air. You can also show your support by purchasing one of my many books or donating through PayPal or leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to this podcast on. You can find the links for the books or donation options in the podcast description. As always, a portion of the proceeds go to local organizations that help fight human trafficking. About the time that we were wrapping up the episode, my guest informed me that it would be airing the day before his birthday. So I just wanted to take a moment before this episode airs to wish him a very happy birthday. Welcome back to the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Amanda Blackwood. I have with me another fellow podcaster. I'm super excited to talk to this guy. He's doing some cool stuff out there in his world. Uh, Jeffrey Mason. Well, hello, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me on today. I really appreciate it. I am super excited to get to know you and to talk about your book and your life and your podcast and all the stuff that you have done. Because you, I mean, I, I know I didn't mention this earlier because I wanted to kind of keep it as a surprise, but people like you, you're my heroes. <laughs> you're the people well, that are going out there and changing things because you know it needs to be changed. Well, I appreciate that. And you know what? We try and we're not experts or, you know, I, I certainly stay away from that term. But, you know, I'm just a specialist trying to, you know, learn new things every day. That's pretty awesome. Jeff, where are you originally from? Yeah, so I'm originally I was um, my, I was born in the uh, Midwest. So in Indiana and my dad had us move uh, to West Virginia for about five years after five years in Indiana. Then I spent most of my life in Jersey, um, New Jersey for 32 years and and then I was recruited to uh, come out to St. Louis about 22 years ago. So my wife and I, and my family have been in St. Louis for the, for about the last 22 years. Wow. That is totally different from New Jersey. Uh, oh, <laughs> very, very. It took me a while to get used to no beaches, uh, but you know what? I, I, I drive through the country now is, is, is so peaceful. And so, um, you know, I love it. I just love driving by the farms. Yeah. Yeah. Did you experience culture shock when you left uh, Jersey and got away from the beaches? Yes. You know, there was a little bit. I think I think one of the things that, um, you know, the folks are very, um, very easygoing out here. Jersey has a higher tempo. I worked in New York City for 11 years and, and there's just a there's just a speed of life that's a little bit faster. And, you know, you obviously learn how to be part of that when you live in it. So coming out here, things were a little bit slower. And, and what I noticed right off the bat was from a business point of view, um, people didn't necessarily make decisions right away. Uh, the decisions kind of got yawned out uh, and I was not used to that. So it was a <laughs> little tough from a business point of view, but from everything else, it was a great place to raise a family wonderfully, um, you know, just uh, accommodating out here and 
cost of living's really fair. And uh, so, yeah, we enjoy it. That's very cool. A lot of people don't realize how much of a culture shock you can actually have st- while still living in the same country, just moving to a different part of it. Yeah, I've, I did a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that speed of life is, you know, we, the tempo. I mean, when you walk in New York City from the train to your office, I mean, you, you better hustle or you're getting run over, you know, <laughs> by, by someone behind you walking faster. And so it's 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 just really fun. But it was fun. I loved it. If I could, if I could get helicoptered in New York, New York City every day, uh, I'd, I would love to work there. Yeah. <laughs> so just a little side story. Years ago, after my son was born, I wanted to go to upstate New York to go visit my dad's family with the first grandson born to the family. So backed everything up and I was living in a very, very small town of a population of 163 people in Rosebud, Arkansas, and bundled up this suitcase and got the baby and I was on my way. I got all the way to New York and I had to manage to get from the airport to Union Station by myself in New York, rolling around a massive suitcase and a little baby. And people in New York were some of the nicest people I met on that entire journey. They would run to open doors for me. And you know, New York has a bad reputation, but man, they were amazing. Yeah, but I totally agree. Very unfair. Uh, accusations against New Yorkers. They are extremely nice. They really are. I mean, you're going to find any, you know, and anywhere you go, you're going to find some, some people who just don't, you know, necessarily like being around other people. But for the most part, New Yorkers were very, very polite, helpful, accommodating. I, I mean, again, I, I enjoyed my 11 years there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But you got to hurry. You got to hustle. You do. do. Uh, A funny story. I was taking uh, my company paid for me to take Spanish lessons. So I had to walk from the Empire State Building up to near Rockefeller Center. And I I took the class. It it was like at 515. The class would start three days a week after work. So you'd you'd leave the office at five and, and have this walk. Well, the guy I walked with was so fast. I, I literally ended up saying, look, you hold back for a couple blocks. Give me a couple blocks head start. And I mean, I, w- I would start out five minutes before this guy and he would catch up to me around 51st Street. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> I couldn't, I just couldn't oh. do it. <laughs> <laughs> He'd walk circles around those mall walkers. <laughs> oh my goodness, for sure. <laughs> uh, so take us back to everything that you went through in your younger years that kind of led you into where your life is now. What kind of traumas did you have to survive? Yeah, you know, uh, the, tr- the the largest trauma that I really had to survive that was ended up being 14 years was self-inflicted. I mean, uh, to the best of my, um, you know, tracking on, on what happened to me, I, I grew up in a time period. I graduated high school in 1976. So, so if you take that sliver of 1972 to 76, you know, the 60s were over. We were coming out of the Vietnam War. There wasn't this, uh, you know hippie lifestyle that let there were there wasn't a purpose to your partying and your drug intake and your alcohol and all this it was in that time period all that was gone so it was kind of and and the way i look at it is kind of um it was a self-destructive party atmosphere that i uh grabbed onto i latched onto it for sure i started with alcohol and I, i can definitely say that you know, marijuana was my gateway drug. It was my, you know, it, I started small 
and it led to more and more and more. Next thing you know, I'm, you know, diving into, you know, six drugs as my, ro- as my regular rotation. You know, I've, 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 I've dabbled with, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 14 of them, alcohol always being the main go-to there. But, you know, my, my main goal for, you know, a good 10 years of that 14 years was every morning when I woke up, imagine the first thing you think about when you open your eyes and you want to, you know, put your feet on the floor after a night's sleep is how am I going to get high today? That was the question I was asking myself laying on my pillow for 10 straight years. I don't care where I was, whether I was working in Wall Street or whether I was going to college or whether I was uh, working in a gas station during that time. That was my focus. And so, um, you know, it became very destructive, became very, uh, of course, with that comes, you know, a host of, of lies and living in denial and hurting all kinds of other people. And, you know, just, it, it was a self-destructive vein and the, you know, I, I, I caused a great deal of, um, you know, agitation for my parents, obviously, uh, rested many, many times, probably somewhere between 10 and 11. I really didn't count them, but I replaying the clock, you know, 10 and 11, uh, arrests before I was an adult. So in my juvenile years, and thankfully I didn't have any after that. So, I mean, I was really a troubled young guy looking for mischief, looking to party, looking to do, do whatever devious thing I could get my hands on. And you probably wouldn't know it looking at me, but that's, that's was the focus of who I was. And so that was the, you know, the trauma was really, you know, it was drug and alcohol dependency that was self-inflicted. I really don't, I mean, I, I can't really trace back. A, it wasn't my parents. It, you know, they were, I was raised in a good home. They were good people. They were, they, they cared for me well, you know, it wasn't my sisters, it wasn't my friend, you know, I, it just, it was this, I wanted to just go for it. And I did. Yeah. It sounds like it was kind of a self-destructive era in our history, though. There was a lot of confusion. There was a lot of pain pretty much everywhere. I mean, I I, I think so. I agree with you. Now, not, not everybody I went to high school with or not everybody that, you know, that, that you know, spent high school uh, those years in high school or that right around there feel that way. But I do. I, I think it was just there was no purpose for us to, to you know, indulge in you know, gross amounts of alcohol or drugs other than just self-destruction. And we didn't, we didn't know what to call it. We weren't going to call it self-destruction, but that's what right. it ended up being. Yeah. Did your parents try to um, kind of rein you in when all this was going on? Were they aware of it happening? Uh, oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, they kind of tried to rein me in. And then I think about the sixth time I was arrested, I, you know, I was in this room, my mother was in this other room in the police station and I would a captain or sergeant, I forget who came in to me and he closed the door behind him. And he said, you know, Jeff, what have you been doing? What, what you, your mother is begging us to send you to a boy's home. I mean, she's begging. Aww. She doesn't want to take you home. She does not want you back at the house. And so, you know, I was that bad. I mean, you know, it just, it was so, you know, they tried their best. They tried to take me to, to see some counselors and try to figure out what was wrong. And I mean, you know, there was nothing wrong with anybody, but me, I was, the, I was the wrong, the guy in the wrong here, you know? Yeah. And I can, I can see why they would do that. A lot of times drugs and alcohol are um, self-medication 
after going through a completely separate trauma. And I can totally see where they'd be like, well, there's got to be an underlying factor. But for so many people, there's just not. Correct. And, and there, you know, and I, again, when I, you know, the things I didn't get arrested for, you know, outweigh what I got arrested for. So, you know, I was also kind of, you know, I, I could, I could tell when I got some form of sensibility that, you know, dude, you're, you know, I talked to myself and, and just in my mind and I could, I, I'd say, you know, dude, you're, you're, you never, you're, you know, you're never satisfied. You're never getting high enough. You're never, doing mischief enough mischievous things you know i always wanted to press the envelope and you know it was just a matter of time before i was pressing it in the wrong directions and and really harmful directions especially you know once i hit 18 but what luckily at least i i didn't get in any more legal trouble uh you know after i turned 18 which is good so what helped you to heal from this what helped you to move on beyond and, and break the cycle yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I got, um, I, I, I hitchhiked for four years. I couldn't lost my license drunk driving. So I hitchhiked for four years, met my wife hitchhiking, believe it or not. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, like Her boyfriend picked me up and they were on the fritz. And, <laughs> and so, you know, I ended up meeting her and we're going to celebrate our 40th year coming up, uh, in a couple months. So, you know, we've been together 40 years now, four grandkids and two kids. And so, you know, so I met her and that was a silver lining and all this. And then she came to know the Lord. And she came to accept Jesus Christ as her savior. And uh, I had not. And now I'm working in the downtown area of Wall Street, uh, New York City, downtown. And, and um, I'm not working as in a brokerage house, but I'm selling to to, you know, those kinds of people, bankers and brokerage houses and law firms. And so, um, you know, she's trying to introduce me slowly to the concepts of the Bible and Jesus and God. And I was rejecting it and rejecting it. And meanwhile, her life is changing dramatically in front of me. And I'm not. I'm still the same old rascal. <laughs> and, you know, it was just one thing after another. Finally led up to going to church maybe once every 12 weeks. And on Christmas Eve, uh, 1987, um, through a series of events, my wife and had to stay home with our youngest daughter. So uh, I was scheduled to meet them halfway in Princeton, New Jersey. And we we're going to go to church on on Christmas Eve in Princeton. So I went by myself and it was there in that church service that I surrendered. I just, I just knew 14 years into this, I was, I'd been through marriage counseling. It was, it was going, you know, it was close to going South but mm. between my wife and I and here. I had a little you know, baby daughter. And so um, long story short, I just surrendered right there. And um, I, God, um, perform the miracle with me. And, 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 you know, I'm a stubborn guy. I'm, I'm sure you've run into stubborn people in your podcast <laughs> journey, you know, but I was really stubborn. And, and, and I know that I know that I know that God said, you know, to me, okay, I'm going to take the urge for drugs and alcohol away from you. And you're and by doing that, you're going to know that I'm real. You're going to know that I'm here with you right now. I'm not some history. I'm not some name and concept in a history book. I'm right here right now. So I, when I surrendered that night on Christmas Eve, 1987, I had had a six pack the night before in about an hour and a half. And, and Amanda, I've never had another drink or another toke on a joint since, you know, um, December 23rd, 1987. And God just took the urge away from me. Didn't have to go to any 12 step counseling or anything. And, and, and that's my story to anybody out there that, you know, and that was just the beginning of my restoration because 
that trauma, I, I was able to exchange all that trauma for a peacefulness that I didn't know how to explain. I couldn't explain it. And as time went on, that peacefulness became richer and richer. And that, um, you know, that, that just ability to find rest and to find joy. And, you know, I, I say the green leaves on the trees look greener. The blue skies look bluer. I couldn't believe what I was missing by getting so messed up all the time. I'm looking at everything and saying, wow, this is, this is really a pretty vibrant, beautiful world we're in. And, you know, I'm, I've been, I've been, I've been putting a, you know, a filter over it by being whacked out for 14 years, you know? And yep. uh, so, so it was really, it was really, it's been a cool journey ever since. And, you know, uh, becoming a Christian does not make you perfect by any means. Right. Um, but it, it gives you the ability to do life uh, with the supernatural power and that's Jesus. And that's, you know, the Holy spirit um, that, that we don't have when we're not, walking with god that is absolutely beautiful are your parents still alive did they get to see this transition in you yes they did and for many years they thought i was part of a cult you know to be <laughs> quite honest and uh, they really did and um you know it, it it took a while for them to come to realize that my dad uh, passed away about three years ago my mom is still alive and and uh yeah they you know um my mom watches every podcast and you know she's amazed you know, I'm sure. At, and she says once in a while, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, so good to see where you are today, but you know, I'm sure she's amazed at the rascal that I was and, you know, certainly uh, left that way behind 30, uh, 30, you know, 36 years, 37 years ago. So, yeah. So she's really excited about where I'm at today. Loves the family, loves the fact that I don't drink and um, you know, but, and dad certainly came around after a while and realized it wasn't a cult and, <laughs> you, know, um, you know, but but it was rough. It was rough there for a few years. You know, <laughs> that's adorable, though. I can just, yeah. I can totally see that. <laughs> yeah, because they were like, wait, wait a minute, you were this you're way. Different. <laughs> yeah, now you're this way. Wait, something's you. You got you got mixed up in something crazy again, right? <laughs> no, I didn't. You know, but I mean, you know, I but I but I could see. I could literally see how they would come to that conclusion. I mean, it made yeah. sense. If you knew the history, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Are you a fan of that program chosen? You know what? My wife and I have been saving it. We have not watched it yet. Oh. I, everybody in our, you know, small group and church. Oh my gosh. But we, you know, we're just, we kind of binge watch when we do watch things. So right. we've just got, waiting for the whole thing. Yeah. Is it, I mean, have you been watching it? I watched the first two seasons and we tried to start watching the third season last night. Oddly enough, um, we had some electronic problems, so we ended up not being able to watch it. But there was a quote in one of the episodes. I won't go into any details or anything. But the quote was, I was one way and now I'm another. And the only thing that changed between was him. Yeah, bingo. I have that on a shirt and I absolutely love that shirt. I wear it every chance I get. Yeah. I mean, th there you go. I mean, I, yeah, I can't, I can't wait to, you know, we on a hot summer stretch, you know, we're just going to sit in in the air conditioning and binge watch it. So we're yeah. kind of excited about it, but um, yeah, you know that, and that's what you're saying on that t-shirt, what that t-shirt said. I mean, that's, that's it. Yeah. Nothing's changed except, you know, it, it, it's what's in between now is, is him and it's Jesus. And it's uh, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Who inspires you the most? You know, I mean, 
I mean, it would sound cliche to say Jesus, but I mean, obviously that that's my first go-to, but I'll tell you what, Amy, you know, before I came to know Christ and, and certainly I still hold this man near and dear, it's Dale Carnegie. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm literally amazed. I had to, before I wrote my book, I had to go to his hometown here in Maryville, um, Missouri. He lived in Northwest Missouri, which was a really rough, rough post-Civil War neck of the woods. So I couldn't even imagine, you know, him being born in like 19, you know, or 1888 and sitting around the dinner table with all the things that were going on up there. That's the place of Jesse James, a lot of gunslinging, a lot of just really crazy stuff going on. And, and here's this guy of modest means that comes out and it masters, you know, the art of human relation skills. And I just think that, you know, his 30 basic principles that are, that are that form his human relation skills, his book, how to win friends and influence people. It's just, it's timeless. And I fell in love with the concept of that timelessness. And that's how I wrote my book with that in mind. But, but Dale Carnegie, Amanda, I mean, you know, I, I, I think about, I, I think it's, I think it's number seven on his list is if you're wrong, admit it quickly and emphatically. I mean, how, just think about that today. How many of us don't take ownership and we try to pass the buck and try to blame shift. And you know what, if you're wrong, have you, you just admit it, but do it quickly and do it with emphasis, meaning make sure they know you're sorry about it. And you're asking there for the, for their forgiveness. And I mean, when you apologize to a business person for something you did wrong, it's amazing you know, it's amazing how they perk up and they're like, wow, this is refreshing. This guy's not trying to shift the blame. Same thing in life. You know, you let a friend down, you let a loved one down. I mean, there's, you know, it's just, a, it's one of his principles. I mean, just, he's got 30 of them and it's, he's just, uh, I can't believe that this guy that grew up in Northwest Missouri of all places was able to come out and share this with the world. And people are still plugged into it today. Well, it's, you're right. It's such a timeless message. This is things. Th this is exactly what people need. Our relationships and our communications are breaking down, and right. a lot of that, I gotta say, has probably a lot to do with the internet because we believe we can say it all with a text message. We're losing the context. We're losing the actual human relationship. Bingo. You know? I and totally agree. Yeah. And it's just getting worse these days. Yep. Now your book is available in paperback, Kindle, or an audiobook that you narrated yourself, right? Correct. That is so cool. I do that myself because other people aren't going to understand the, the, the voice that I'm wanting to use or the inflection I want on certain words. <laughs> Correct. Oh, and you have a you have a wonderful uh radio voice too. I mean, really. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I've been working on that for the last couple of years. Um <laughs> But Jeffrey, do you happen to have a copy of your book handy? Do you have a part that you would like to read for the audience at all? I, I just really think that, you know, and we, as we backtrack and I'll, I'll try to find something here that we can uh, uh, focus on, you know, I, I think that the book itself, you know, is, is really emblematic of, of how I approach uh, business life anymore. And, and, you know, it's really the experience of business that is my focus. And I really do think that it's something that um, we're overlooking in many cases when we do business with people. They, they, a lot of times they really don't, the customers really don't put weight on the product or service that we're selling. They put the weight on how we go about you know, the transaction, how we go about selling them the product, the servicing the product. So I, I really just think, you know, anything we can do 
to make that customer experience better, I think is, is, is golden. So I, I do want to read just, just one part here. Um, and it's, it's on page 101. Uh, it's the number two in one of my um, sections here. Tell buyers what they deserve to hear. So I'll just read you a quick paragraph. You're managing customer money with each transaction. They are giving their hard-earned income to you in exchange for something you sell. Respect that process. Respect that money. Respect that client. If you want to grow and stay in business, tell people purchasing your products what they deserve to hear. Start right now. You'll be amazed with the results. And, and I go on to explain a number of situations in my career on how that has panned itself out but you know i i um you know you know i I, one that just comes to mind is i had one of my legal department called me one day and said hey we have a 72 dollars in credit that should go back to one of your customers uh for some canadian gst tax that we miscalculated and we owe them 72 bucks you probably just i mean there's no no need to do anything with this right so no 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 Let's cut the check to the customer. Yeah, but it cost me about $75 to cut the check. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> cut the check for $72. Well, a customer was so blown away. And this was somebody who really didn't buy much of my product. They were so blown away by that gesture that we told them what they deserve to hear. This is your money. Here it is. Here's a check. We, we made this miscalculation. And you know what? My business went from a measly, you know, under $100,000 in business to over two and a half million with this customer. And, and she was, the buyer was just taken aback that we would do the right thing. And we would, you know, and, and in essence, you know, that's a refreshing concept today. And yeah. I think that, um, you know, hopefully anybody picking up the book, they, you know, the book is filled with illuminations like that, that can help you do better uh, business inside what I call the experience economy. And there's so much to that relationship in the business world that should be translated easily into personal relationships, too. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you I'm- do the right thing in your personal relationships and you... Uh, do tell people what they deserve to hear from you. You're going to have a healthier relationship with them, whether it's business or personal. Absolutely. And I, I actually have a, a now kind of have a little challenge and it's a little moniker that I, I uh, teach a lot. I do a lot of public speaking as well, and it's serve to deserve. And, you know, we can always focus on the wants, always focus on the needs, but when you're able to focus on the wants and the needs as just the cost of doing business, but now you can serve that customer in a way that they deserve to be served. But to them, it's going to come off in many cases as refreshingly, astonishingly great customer centric, you know, care. And they just, they're not used to seeing that today. And when we see it, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure you and your husband might be the same way. You might, you might go, wow, did you see that? I mean, that was awesome. That the fact that I didn't have to ask that waiter to refill my water seven <laughs> times, but he or she came by to fill it seven times without me asking little things like that are just a, a great example of serve to deserve. And those are the things that make you want to continue going back there too. We had a, a excellent experience like that at a restaurant, not far from home. Uh, I guess it was about a year ago now where the server came out and said, I'm really sorry your food's taking so long. We'd only been there for like 15 minutes. But we're really busy tonight. Some of our kitchen staff has um, come down with COVID and they've had to leave. They were sick um, a few nights ago. 
So we're doing the best that we can. Can I get you an appetizer for free while you're waiting? It made a huge difference to us. And we love those guys now. We've gone back there. And even on the days when we don't get the great service, we still know that there is great service to be had. Yeah. And you know what? Their intentions are really, really good. And and you know that, that they're really, you know, it seems like they have a, a slant that wants to really service customers in an astonishingly good way. That's an awesome gesture to, to ask you, you know, to ask, you know, to say, hey, listen, we'll get you an hors d'oeuvre if you want one, you know, I mean, an appetizer if you want one uh, while you wait. That's awesome. Um that is so cool. You know, I have a podcast coming up. I'm so excited about it. It's a, about four weeks from now. I've already taped it, but it's about um, why do we serve wilted mint in our mojitos? And, you know, I'm, I don't drink, but my wife got a mojito last summer. And she says, she says, look at this thing. And I look at it. I hope, I hope you can hear me. I said, I look at it. And here's this brown wilted mint leaf floating Ugh. on top and then in the bottom are these brown it looked like somebody had raked up the fall leaves and kept it for a couple of weeks and put it in, in a drink and and my question to anyone would be why would you even put that in there and think you could serve that to a customer Ugh, that's the that's the antithesis of serve to deserve that is, you know, and I mean, it was gross. It was, I mean, was, why would you, my point is, why would, why do we still put those wilted leaves in the drinks and serve them to people? Right. I mean, we're not thinking something's wrong, but you know, <laughs> that's certainly well, that's not as what we got. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. But I, yeah. you know, I, I love it. Uh, so, you know, when you, when you see things like that right smack dab in front of you and you go, wow, this is glaringly idiotic. You know what I mean? <laughs> yep. Yep, absolutely. Why are you doing this? This is gross. This is disgusting. Yeah. This is not great service. This makes me want to go anywhere else but here. You, you, yeah, you saw that this was pulled out of a of an old bag of leaves from the the fall, right? Yeah, <laughs> why are you doing this? I mean, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> Unbelievable. So your book is called Simple Biz Three Hundred and Sixty timeless business tools by jeffrey r mason people can of course find uh ways to order this and the links to be able to get this from your website which is simplebizbiz360.com right yep that's our home and that's the book and timeless business tools which you know it's just i had to get that you know phrase in there i just and i I wanted to make sure that whatever was in there could be picked up 30 years from now and still be applicable you know, yeah. I didn't want to make it in such a way or write it in such a way that it was, you know, timed out. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Absolutely. And just like your hero, you are timed. Yes. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Who's your hero, by the way? I mean, do you have one? I have many. Okay. Uh, my heroes are people like you, the ones that are making the difference, the ones that have the vulnerability to be able to tell your true story. Um, if we're talking like Hollywood stars and stuff, I would say Barbara Stanwyck, who was originally born uh, Ruby Catherine Stevens. She grew up in a very troubled home where her parents died in a horrific car accident when she was quite young. And her older sister got a job on vaudeville to be able to keep them alive. And her sister made her promise never to go to vaudeville to be an actress. And of course she promised, but she lied. Yeah, yeah. Two of her very earliest performances, the first name of the character was Barbara. The last name of the other character was Stanwyck. And that's how her name was formed. Wow. When she went to Hollywood, 
she was known as one of the easiest people to work with in spite of the trauma that she survived because she was always kind. And when she retired, she went back to Hollywood and she said, I need something because I don't have any family of my own anymore. And the men and women behind the scenes are my family and I need my family back. That's the only reason the TV show Big Valley was ever made. Was that right? Yeah. She was an incredible human. Yeah, one of my favorite shows, too. I mean, as a kid, you know, growing up, it was, you know, it was Bonanza and that. And I mean, you know, I, I just, you know, love the cowboy flicks and oh, yeah. the cowboy shows all the time. So, but, but Big Valley, yeah, that was a great. Lee Majors was in that, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he was. They had a lot of big names on their show. Yeah. I mean, it, it was Barbara Stanwyck. She had such yeah. an illustrious career, starting with pre-code films that were just mind-blowing. She was mm-hmm. in this this movie called Night Nurse with... um. Uh, Clark Gable, pre-code. It was just heartbreaking. She was in baby face that the first time I saw this, I just wept big fat tears at the end of the movie because she finally learned how to love somebody other than herself. Just She taught me through her films how to behave like a human and how to have human relationships. And what I didn't know for so many years was that she was struggling with the same thing as I was growing up watching her movies. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah, well, I did. Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna have to look her up, and that's uh, that's gonna be, uh, you know, it's certainly gonna be interesting to, uh, you know, to look her up a little bit. So yeah, so Lee Majors, that was one of his. Like he was a, you know, early on he was a young guy coming out in that show, and that's that's what I remember. But yeah, she was kind of the matriarch that held everything together in that show. You're right. Yeah, she was amazing, and the whole reason that it was made is because she needed her family back. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, she was pretty cool. So there's always a couple of last second questions that I like to ask people before I let them go. And the first one is pretty simple. Would you consider yourself to be an introvert or an extrovert? And is this always the way it's been for you? Yeah, definitely an extrovert. And yes, it's always been the way I've just always felt uh, comfortable talking to anybody, a stranger. And I I get that from my mother for sure. Um, Not my dad. Yeah. Very cool. And my very favorite question I always ask people is, what's one thing that you love about yourself that's not related to your physical appearance? Oh, wow. That's really, um, <laughs> <laughs> that is a crazy question. Um, you know, I, I, I'd have to say it's, uh, it's my passion for family. I mean, just, I, I, you know, I love, I love my kids and grandkids and, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's in me. It's never going to go away. You know, God wired me that way. And, uh, so we're, we're fortunately close to them and, um, it just, um, you know, I, I can't imagine the bad things I did to my mom and dad and, and how I, you know, separated them from me as their kid by my actions. And, and thankfully my kids have never done that. And, and my grandkids, you know, certainly don't, haven't done that. Um, so, you know, it's, um, yeah, I mean, that's the best thing about me is that, that I love family. If you've enjoyed tonight's episode, please make sure you check out the episode description there. You'll find links on how you can learn more about this guest, links to connect with them on social media, and how to support the podcast. Remember, I don't get paid to do this. My boss is a bit tight-fisted. I can say that. I work for myself. In short, this show really is all about the guest. If you've enjoyed their interview, please feel free to let them know. 
You can also tune in to my other podcast, Growth from Darkness, which is co-hosted by a lovely lady from Australia. We talk about what trauma responses are and healthy ways to move beyond the past. For more information, just go to growthfromdarkness.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash growth from darkness.